1: There was so much money he had to hide it in PVC pipes and bury it in the woods. That's kind of been the joke among a lot of my interviews is, you know, because, because Freddie forgot where he put it.
2: Today, I speak to Ed Hudson, who worked as the Narcotics and Law Enforcement Officer in the Florida unit responsible for bringing down Freddie Crow. Freddie used to steal planes and fly under the radar with deftifying defying stunts to reach Belize where he'd smuggle so much marijuana onto the plane that the pressure would bust open the doors. He wore camouflage and painted his face and became known by the FBI only as Rambo before they could identify him and his partner in crime, Billy. His life was very much like that of Tom Cruise's character in American Made, but it took a drastic change after he was caught and met today's guest, Ed Hudson. After serving time, an unlikely friendship developed between the two before things took a tragic turn. I'll leave that there for now. Uh, I came across Ed's fantastic book about the subject, As the Crow Flies, which you can find on Amazon and in selected stores. Look up his Facebook page, Ed Hudson Author, for photos of him and Freddie and Freddie's family. There'll be a link to that on my andrewgoldpodcast.com blog, where I've been updating for every episode and including video trailers and you know, behind the scenes information. A uh, couple things to note. One, a huge part of the story is, to Ed, religious. Now, I'm not a religious person. In fact, I'd describe myself as a proud and open atheist. But it's impossible not to make a link between Freddie's redemption and punishment tale and religious stories, which to me are just that, stories. But to Ed, there's something more and it means he speaks with a genuine enthusiasm and passion that elevates the story, both in this interview and in his book. The second point I wanted to make is that Ed has a quite marvellous way of talking. It's a real traditional Deep South accent that we in the UK can only dream of encountering in real life. So if nothing else, I hope you enjoy listening to the musicality of his voice. As regular listeners will know, I always attempt an impression of the many different accents On this show so it didn't escape my notice of course that he says things like well that's done been done and if i need to slow down any and uh we talk how god talks anyway i hope he's not too offended by that so far nobody's actually been offended by my impressions of them so hopefully that will continue but without further ado here is ed hudson How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Good. How are you?
2: I am good. Thank you. That's a hell of an accent you've got.
1: Well, I, I was going to tell you, if I need to slow down, you just let me know.
2: I've seen enough movies of people from your part of the world.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> but you do realize that, you know, we talk the way God talks. Oh. <laughs> Is that right?
2: Does God have a Florida accent?
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's kind of a a mixture of Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. I think it's uh, we're we're in the Panhandle of Florida, and we have influence from everybody.
2: Yeah, I mean, at the moment, the thing that everybody thinks about maybe from your part of the world is the Tiger King. Did you see any of that?
1: Yeah, a little bit, I, not not a whole lot, but I did watch some of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not the way we want to be known. Though, I don't.
2: Think. <laughs> I can imagine. Oh my word, he's quite a character, that guy. He's not from where near you, is is he? No,
1: no, I, he was he was from down around Orlando. Okay, and whereabouts are you? I am just north of Pensacola. I'm in the extreme northwest corner of Florida.
2: Okay, gotcha. Tell me a little bit about uh, your position, uh, what, what it was. You know, in the in the narcotics unit. Did you always want to go into that? Is it a little bit? I, I don't know if you've seen that film, Training Day. Uh, that's a, the narcotics uh, team. It's was Denzel Washington. You know, it doesn't matter if you've seen it, but uh, yeah, what what led you to that?
1: Actually, when I first got into law enforcement, my big desire was to just work patrol in the north end of the county where I live. That that was what I wanted to do um I worked there for about nine years and and um, I began to realize that there was more to the job than just doing that so uh, I in in order to move forward I needed to get more experience so I transferred to the narcotics unit in in uh, down in Pensacola and it was uh, that that really and truly is the best place to get the most experience in the shortest amount of time because you're you're constantly doing search warrants i mean when when I went into the unit they they were going up on a wiretap and we were listening to telephones and stuff and 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 that that was uh kind of like going from mayberry to James Bond. <laughs> I worked there for three years and um my my end goal was to to get to an even larger organization, which I chose, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and that's that's where I wound up working.
2: Uh, so, what kind of thing were you were you looking at on day to day basis? What kind of like narcotics, drugs, like what kind of situations are you getting yourself into, and how are you how are you stopping people?
1: Well, it, you know, during that time, it was the crack cocaine was like, you know, the. The, the scourge of the street. So, in our area, uh, we, we didn't have much of a heroin problem. Uh, the crack cocaine was the big thing. And, and quite frankly, we looked for marijuana cases just to get some relief from working crack cocaine cases because it just, you know, the the marijuana cases were just more fun.
2: Why are they more fun?
1: It was more like a a cat and mouse game than the crack. (laughs) I mean, the the crack was just so... So abundant, just out on the street and everywhere. But the the marijuana was more like a cat and mouse game. And and, and as, as I talk about in the book, it was a thrill for them to be able to get away with it, and it was a thrill okay. for us to be able to try to stop them.
2: Tell me, tell me quickly. This is going to sound uh, stupid, but just for the audience, and my audience is very stupid. Um, what is crack cocaine uh, like com- compared to normal cocaine what is it, or is it the same thing what's the difference between crack cocaine and cocaine
1: it's a more condensed product of cocaine it's more pure and uh, right. it's it's generally smoked and inhaled into the lungs and it's an immediate result from the uh, intake and uh, it's 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 also much more
2: addictive okay do, do you guys in, in narcotics, when you're working in narcotics, do you have to have some sort of taste of it or to, to, to be able to understand what it, to be able to recognize it, for example? Taste uh, as in ingest or, or... How do you get familiar to be able to, to recognize it?
1: I, I guess just from seeing it is, was was the yeah. main thing. I mean, it's... Uh,
2: they never sit you down and, and say, like, you've got to try this so you know what it is. and No, no, no it, it. that's uh, not on purpose anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is a very movie. It's a movie trope. I think it happens in, in.
1: They used to dip their finger in the cocaine and taste it. No, no, that doesn't happen. No.
2: <laughs> okay, makes sense. Um. So yeah, tell me, tell me a little bit about Freddie Crow.
1: Well, Freddie was. Uh, he grew up in the town of Century, Florida, which is in the very, very. It's right on the Alabama-Florida state line, and a very small town. Uh, about three miles long and a mile wide and and uh uh that's where he grew up and that's where he stayed. That's that that was home to him. Uh he uh it, the book begins with him as a rambunctious little kid that uh I uh I kinda likened to Dennis the Menace of Century Florida because he was always into things from what they told me. Uh he uh he developed an interest in airplanes very early on it It was uh he was just a small child putting airplane models together and that that interest continued to grow and grow and and By the time he was a teenager, he had his pilot's license and uh and started at a very young age crop dusting also but when he became a teenager, he also learned that he liked marijuana and uh from that, he uh, he began to think that you know that be be a good way to make money. So uh, he kind of parlayed all that into a drug smuggling career.
2: Wow! How does someone is he? I was he from an impoverished background? Would you say? I'm just wondering how somebody learns to pilot a plane and where where somebody gets hold of a, a plane. I can't. I don't know where you buy a maybe where you're from. There's more sort of planes around, are there? What'd you get? Well,
1: I can tell you the area he grew up in was uh, a very poor area. Uh, Mm. It's uh, and and that's a huge problem in that area. However, his dad owned a bar and uh, and a couple of a couple of bars. And and as far as being well off, he was probably pretty well off for living in that area. They they he didn't have to drug smuggle for money. He did it for the for the excitement.
2: Okay. So, yeah, so he would have just gotten hold of planes, I suppose, for crop dusting, and that's how he learns. He Maybe his a parent taught him or something.
1: Well, he started off his drug smuggling in vehicles, in, in cars, but his dad actually bought him a small airplane. I I don't know what they, right. what they went for back then, but uh, he had a small airplane uh, to to oh, yeah. fly around in and 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 develop his skills. And uh yes. and he was quite skillful. I I started to work there in at the Century Police Department. That was my first job. It was a little five man department and I stayed there for a year and I'd never heard of Freddie Crow up until I started to work there. And because he was about ten years older than me. But it didn't take long to hear about him. It wasn't just the drug smuggling part that I heard about I, the most of the stories were were stories about his stunts on the airplane and things that he did flying the airplane
2: what kind of thing uh would would he do what kind of crazy stunts
1: there was a there's a bridge that connects the two counties and and I was told that he flew under the bridge and and I was thinking man that guy's crazy if he did that well yeah. um One of the first things I asked him whenever I sat down to interview him, I I just had to get that out of the way. and, And it had been years since I'd heard that story. But I asked him, I said, Freddie, did you actually fly under the bridge, the Highway 4 bridge? And he said, no. I measured it and there wasn't enough room. <laughs> I
2: love, I love the idea of him measuring it, getting yeah, out and actually yeah. measuring it.
1: Yeah. But, uh, but then he, uh, he said, but let me tell you what it did do. And he started telling me about some of the, he, he would take his friends up in, in the airplane and take them on the ride of their life, the only ride of their life, because they wouldn't ever get in a plane with him again after that. But, but the, uh. <laughs> but th- there's a, a pipeline that, that crosses the Escambia River Bridge, and and it, it made a big loop over the bridge. And there was he had a guy in one of his friends flying in the plane with him, and there were some workers uh, doing repair work on the pipeline, painting it. And uh, yeah. and he flew under that pipeline while they were on the pipeline painting it. And he said when he looked back behind him, there was paintbrushes went one way and paint cans went the other way. And and he kind of got in a little bit of trouble with FAA over over that one. Oh my
2: word! So Freddie started um, smuggling drugs. So so with, with with the with the plane, and he was going into Belize. Is that right?
1: Yeah, he um, he uh, after he got caught with smuggling it in the car, he he got out of prison and decided to change his. Uh, his way of uh, doing things. So he he started using the airplane. He eventually wound up back in prison again, but he may, came across a guy named Billy Deagle when he went to the prison that time. Uh, and they became good friends. Billy was a pilot too, and he was a drug smuggler right. as well. Uh, Billy was, Billy's, there's several good characters in this book, and Billy is one of them. Billy is a, uh, uh a guy that uh that came from a law enforcement family his uh grandfather was mm-hmm. uh, his great grandfather was a judge his grandfather was a uh was a sheriff his father was a major wow. in the Florida Department of Corrections his sister worked for the Florida Department of Corrections everybody was in law enforcement except for billy and he was busy running from them so, uh, yeah,
2: the black sheep.
1: Y- yes. Well, I guess you could say that, but he, uh, came across Billy and Billy had a connection to Belize. So they both got out close to the same time. Billy got out first, but they, they hooked up when, uh, Freddie got out and, uh, they began flying down to, uh, Belize. They would take turns flying and sometimes they would fly a plane that required to have a pilot and a co-pilot, uh, and, uh. And then they would both fly down together. And, and you have to get a sense for this, too, now, because they're flying into another country, landing in the jungle, more or less, in a makeshift uh, airstrip, getting enough marijuana that people would, would kill you for. And then they fly back, and they would sort of follow the, the, the coastline until they reached a certain point around the Yucatan Peninsula, and they would they would shoot over out into the Gulf. And to get back into the country, it would require them to, to get down about 200 miles out. They would have to get down so low over the Gulf of Mexico that they'd be flying just mere feet over the waves.
2: And why is that? So they're not they're not caught on the radar. Is that right?
1: That they they had to get under the radar coverage, and and that's what it was called: is flying under the radar.
2: Yeah, I noticed that in your book. I hadn't ever realized why we say "oh, is under the radar" and is. Is that where that expression comes from? That
1: That is it. That is it. Getting under the radar to where it can't detect you. And they would do that. They would fly so low salt would collect on their windshield and they continue on until they get to the coast. And then once they hit land, they just shoot up like, you know, normal airspace and fly like any other airplane and it's no problem.
2: Why can't a radar pick up on people who are quite low down? Is it, or is that too technical to, well, maybe I won't even understand the reason.
1: You have to think about the curvature of the earth Mm. and the radar kind of just sort of shoots over an area after so far. You know, it's it's, it's okay. like like hitting a valley. That's my best explanation. But
2: um, that's that's quite a good explanation, actually. Was, yeah, simple enough for me to understand it. So,
1: but they were doing this in airplanes. Did they? Sometimes they bought them. Sometimes they stole them. And it, sometimes mm-hmm. they crashed them. And I guess all that added to the excitement as, as well.
2: Would you say? Can I just ask? I mean, so he went into into prison for sort of maybe minor misdemeanors to an extent. And then he came out. I mean, prison is supposed to rehabilitate you, and he sort of came out of it going and stealing planes and crashing them and like sort of the next level. Would, would you say it sort of prison went not the way it's supposed to do for him? Well,
1: yeah, there's a couple of things wrong there. I, well, if, to begin with, they weren't misdemeanors because, I mean, his first arrest was he had 250 pounds of pot in in the trunk of a right. car. And, um, uh, so, so that's, that's kind of felony level there. One of the things about prison is, is, yeah, it doesn't really rehabilitate you, but then again, unless you want to be rehabilitated, it's not going to happen anyway. Um, but the, uh, the other thing is, is that it's, uh, it's, it's a fantastic network for people that are in that kind (laughs) of business. You know, they, they, they get to know one another and meet more people and, and, uh, I I don't really know what the answer is
2: for that. No, it's it's complicated, isn't it? Because obviously they have to go to prison. I don't know what the other option is. It's just unfortunate that they end up meeting people who will just, as you say, it's like a networking event for them.
1: Yeah. And he was offered, you know, like drug rehab whenever he'd go in. And, of course, everybody takes it because they want to be seen as the model inmate. Yeah. You know, the whole time he's thinking, you know, he can't w- wait to get out to, to pursue the, the adrenaline rush.
2: Are they getting access to drugs on the inside, do you think?
1: You know, he he never talked about that, that I know of. I, I don't remember hearing mm. him say that, but I know that drugs are available inside, inside prison. So it's, that's another problem as well. There's several things to address. And, you know, at some point in yeah. time, we have to take a look at just what exactly it is we we want to get out of prisons and and then put the resources in there to do it, and yeah. I'm not sure that, that they sense. have the resources.
2: I've heard you talk about how people often compare his antics to the movie American Made with Tom Cruise in it, and that was his that was his life for a while, just crashing planes, stealing planes, and smuggling drugs and stuff. I mean,
1: I think yeah. that. Yeah. And if the story ended there, you, you know, and I've had people when I'd start telling them about the book, I've had people tell me, well, that's done been done. I, I said, now well, wait a minute. You got to hold on. But another thing about Freddie, when he gets out this last time, he tells Billy, he said, Billy, I don't want to meet anybody. I don't want, I don't want them to know who I am and I don't need to know who they are. So in order to do that, Freddie used to put camouflage on his face and were fatigues. And he would do right. that to try to hide his identity. And he never told any of them who he was. Billy knew, of course, but the rest of them in the in the group did not know. So they had to give him a name, so they nicknamed him Rambo. And that's how they, they mm. knew him, was Rambo. And the funny thing about it is, is that as people began to get knocked off in the organization, there's they, they began to talk somewhat. And they they began to tell the story about how Billy Deakle was involved in this. And there was this other guy that they don't know who he is, but they call him Rambo. And so the federal government mm. indicted Rambo. Rambo and Billy were indicted for like three years before they were caught.
2: So the government didn't know who he was, and they said, we are indicting Rambo.
1: They're, they're indicting this character named Rambo. That's that's the name that they had. So... uh <laughs> Now, as the investigation went on, they began to to suspect strongly that Freddie Crow was Rambo, but they couldn't prove it. But uh, but then Billy gets arrested, and uh, mm-hmm. it's in his trial they begin to bring other witnesses back in, and during that trial they were able to uh, definitively say that Rambo is Freddie Crow, and Freddie gets arrested while while Billy. Is uh, in trial,
2: right? Did Billy? I don't know what's what's the 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 formal way of saying uh, rat him out. (laughs) I can't think of a a more neutral way. Denounce him? (laughs) No, Billy did not.
1: No, Billy did not cooperate at all. He took it on the chin. Now, Freddie, on the other hand, when he gets arrested, he gets thrown into the jail. There's there's a there's also another character in the book that is just that, that really shines. Freddie has an older, sis- older sister named Bobby. Bobby helped raise Freddie, and she helped raise him right. She tried her best to to make sure that he had a good, firm foundation when he was growing up. And then she took him to church regularly, and uh, mm. and and made sure that he at least had the knowledge. And nice. uh, and I think all of that came back to Freddie when when he's sitting in that jail cell. It it begins to dawn on him that he's made some bad decisions, and he realizes that there are consequences for those decisions because he's looking at a life sentence with his record and the the amount of uh, drugs that they could put on the organization and all. Freddie makes the decision to cooperate. He uh, he decides that he needs to burn his bridges with the with the smuggling world, and uh, mm-hmm. and openly. Uh, cooperate with the government.
2: But is that because he was brought up well, as as you say, by his sister, or was that because he was scared of being put in prison for the rest of his life?
1: I th- I think he was scared for getting put in prison for the rest of his life, and he realized that what his sister had taught him was the way out. Mm. I believe that's the way it went.
2: Uh, that's a kind way of looking at it. Some might say he just wanted to save his own um, uh, derriere. are. Um. Well,
1: it, it, it yes, that that and and that's been done. Let me tell you, that has been done before. But but then you have to take a look at the changed life after that. Uh, okay. And I think you see that that he was sincere. He made it a point to uh develop new friendships and 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 put the old ones away. I mean, he uh this book is is a lot about friendships he had he had the friends as he grew up as a child and they separated and and went their different ways because they they didn't agree with what he was doing and and yeah. uh he develops new friendships like like billy and and uh but then he has the the friendship of his his sister who who was with him from from birth yeah. and, and all through all the bad, and, and even though she didn't agree with anything that, that he was doing, she just wouldn't give up on him. Then there's the friendship that he developed with a lady named Sandra that uh, ultimately became the one and only Mrs. Freddie Crow. Right.
2: Yes, that's that's right. Just to go back a minute, though, he so he never actually got caught, you know, while flying, uh, while smuggling or, or, or anything like that, did he? Uh, he got
1: caught with the, um, 250 pounds in the car. Yes. Yeah. He got caught with that, but with flying, he never actually, no, he did not.
2: Sounds like quite a good system, isn't it? I mean, it's, it must.
1: They, they were quite successful. They, they were, they, they, mm-hmm. they were flying, you know, usually like every other month and, and, uh, bringing in anywhere from 650 to a thousand pounds of load. And, and, uh, they they flew enough that they made enough money that money became a problem. Um, they
2: couldn't use banks. That's filling up the the plane, is is it? Is that sort of filling up? The, I, I I remember. I think I remember reading at one point about how like if you if you get too greedy, it will sort of sink the plane. Well, <laughs> he uh, he told me
1: that that he had a, a problem with getting greedy because he he just kept telling the. the Put more in, put more in. And then when he went to take off, there'd be so much weight on it that the pressure from the from the plane popped the doors open. So and and you don't want to be flying, a, <laughs> you know, man. flying around with your doors popped open. So they'd have to take some out. But there was so much money he had to hide it in PVC pipes and bury it in the woods, and uh and and that's that, that's kind of been the the joke among men. a lot of my interviews is you know because. Because Freddie forgot where he put it. Not only did he forget, he that when he went off to prison, he he wound up with a ten-year sentence as opposed to a life sentence. So he he went away for ten years, and during that ten years, we got hit with two hurricanes in the area, and and they were bad hurricanes, and they changed the terrain tremendously. And uh, when he gets out, he can't find his money, and and uh, that that was kind of a running joke around here about you know. Uh, you know, go and get Freddie and go look for some PVC pipe. But uh...
0: Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Lucas. that's e x p r e s s v p n dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com dot com slash heretics to learn more.
2: But what's PVC pipe?
1: It, that's a plastic pipe. It's used for like water lines, like or sewer lines. It's he he would get the um, you know like eight inches across pipes and right. and fill them full of money and then then cap them off so
2: they're watertight and <laughs> bury them. Right. So, that, they're probably out there then, tens of thousands. Yeah. 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 I, I, I
1: kind of expected a gold rush to hit Century when this book came out. You know, everybody get their picks <laughs> yeah. and shovels and hit the woods. But
2: uh. yeah, I'm in Berlin right now. I'm just going to look up if they've got any direct flights to, to Florida. <laughs> yeah. I'll be out there in a minute with a. I said, well, I guess not a metal detector, a plastic pipe detector, or
1: whatever. Well, that's the problem. There's no way to really detect it. <laughs> I, I guess you could get ground penetrating radar, maybe, and, and yeah. find it if you knew where to start.
2: So, why can't you? I, I suppose because it's not safe. But he he can't just take it back to your house because somebody might come and investigate, or someone might rob you. Is that right?
1: Well, he he did keep some in between the mattresses, and and and. Uh, hmm. uh, quite a bit but but he had more than that uh, you know so you know when you're into business you never know when the police are going to come knocking and you don't want them to you know you keep everything else hid and you don't you don't want to have a a, a load of money like that that you can't account for so
2: how much do you think he was making you said he was going every other month like how much do you think he was making each time
1: you know I'm, I'm not sure a lot of it depended on the size of the load and all but are we ta- are we talking tens of thousands Oh oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it's uh it may have been up to a hundred thousand or so or more
2: that's what- what would it have been,
1: I guess a day's work, right, a day that's you know, just flying down there because because he had his people who distributed it once he got back he didn't he didn't get out on the street and sell it, he had certain people that took care of of selling the marijuana, so you know all his job was done in a day.
2: It's not a bad uh, way of making money. I might have to look in a career change because uh, you know doing this podcast, I will have to work for about twenty years to earn what you did in a day
1: well but but then again, can you do the time?
2: <laughs> I couldn't last a minute
1: in a, in a- <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but you no.
1: know we were we were talking about you know whether or not Freddie did it for the right reasons or not where when he when he talked about. I have to tell you that that I saw such a change in him. I I can tell you when he got out, one of the things that he did was uh, after he got sent off to prison, I I left the sheriff's office and went to work at the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And my very first case was Freddie's cocaine supplier, the the person that he got his cocaine from. So I knew this from the interview that I did with Freddie. So I called him back out of prison and, and he testified against his cocaine supplier and When I took him back, that's when he, uh, we had a, I took him back to prison and and we had a real nice conversation about him changing his life and all. And and matter of fact, I told him then, I said, Freddie, it ain't like you got a lot to do right now. Why don't you write a book? But uh, whenever he went to get out of the car, he asked me, he said, do you mind if I call you? And I said, sure. I mean, I, you know, thinking like a cop, you know, here, I I get somebody inside the prison that might can give me some information and all. So I said, sure, give me a call.
2: Is that how you became, started to become friendly?
1: That is how he kind of started because he did call me. He called me every now and then, the phone would ring and he just, be calling, and just said, I'll just call him to check in and see how things are going. So then after um, it got time for him to get out, the last call he made to me, he said, would it be okay if I came to see you? Well, <clears throat> you know, at this point in time, I'm still thinking, mm, yeah, well, I, <laughs> I guess it'd be all right. I, you know, I just uh, couldn't be, but, but just a little bit of doubt in my mind about why would you come see me? But, but. I told him, come on, it'd be all right. So he did, but he didn't just go see me. He went to see the prosecutor. He went to see the other agents, the agents involved in the case. And there was a common theme behind all those visits. And he was he was more or less just apologizing and wanted everybody to know that he was through with what he had been doing. And, and it wasn't just us. He He apologized to his family. Uh, he had he had okay. a lot of a lot of fences to mend there, and uh, yeah. and he went to work trying to mend those fences, and 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 even people that he didn't even know. Freddie was a very easy person to talk to, and he would he would start talking to them, and 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 before they got too far into conversation, he would stop and he would tell them what he'd done because he wanted them to know. Who they were talking right. to, and what he had done, and if they had decided that they didn't want to associate with him, he wanted them to make that decision right then.
2: Yeah, that's quite a. It's a common literature trope. That's from the the rhyme of the ancient mariner, um, the, the the albatross and everything, the the curse of the. The curse of the albatross is that you have to go around telling everybody you meet the crime that you did uh, in order to earn some form of redemption that would never fully come. And I, I suppose Freddie's story is quite literary in that sense, because he doesn't fully get his redemption. Or I suppose he does, but he's sort of punished in a way, isn't he, by what happened next? Well,
1: he is somewhat. But I also want to say that that he didn't stop with asking mm. forgiveness with, with just us. He He sought his forgiveness from God as well. Yeah. Because he knew that was something he needed to do, he winds yeah. up marrying Sandra and everything's going good. he's got a business going and 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 life is good, and he develops a pain in his side and and he goes to the doctor and and that's when he learns he has terminal oh. cancer and 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 that was a tough phone call he He called me not not long after he, he found out and and just wanted me to know. And, and I think that's when our relationship really changed. You know, he he had been mm. he, he had even been a, an informant for me when I was at FDLA after he got out of prison, and and it it wasn't for proactive cases because he had burned that bridge, and and, and I didn't really want to see him trying to to build it back to for any reason. His uh, information was just valuable to to. A lot of agencies, they just wanted the opportunity to sit down and learn what Freddie Crow knew. And and he came in, and, and uh, I, I sat in on all the interviews. And uh, matter of fact, after one of them, I told him, I said, Freddie, you know what we need to do? He said, what's that? I said, I think we need to uh, put you on the stage and sell tickets. Because he was very entertaining, a very entertaining <laughs> person to talk to. But then he called me and tells me that he's got terminal cancer, and 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 that's when the the christian inside of me sort of kicked in i felt compelled to uh to walk with him uh during whatever days he had left uh we we became uh yeah. became real good friends i uh uh, as as time went on, I, he needed some some help getting to and from the doctor because Sandra had to go to work, and and I I would help out with that, and I would go over to his house and and uh, and sort of do the things that he was no longer able to do, and he was seeing things that that needed to be done,
2: yeah,
1: because because he knew that he wasn't going to be around
2: how were you feeling was it like was it losing a friend
1: yeah in in the end it it was uh very much like that it was it it really was i um because i i gotten used to him he he uh freddie would would freddie grew a garden up until the, the the last few months that that uh that he was alive and and Uh, you know, he would fight through the pain to, to just raise a garden because he liked sharing what, what he grew. And, and he would, Mm. whatever he had, I didn't have, he would give to me and I would, I would do the same to him. Uh, you know, there were certain things that I had that, that, that like, like there's a, there's a, like a southern grape called scuppernons, uh, muscadine that, uh, Right. I have vines and he loved those things and, you know, and I'd, I'd give them to him. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, uh, but, but yeah, it, it was, uh, it was very much like, like losing a friend and, and I, and, and it it was hard to watch him deteriorate, you know, and, and, uh, seeing him in pain and the, uh, the last day that he was home, uh, he had gotten to the point that Sandra could no longer take care of him. And, um, so she had, they had made the decision that he would go to the hospice house for his last days. And I went over there to, to sit with him while they were waiting for him to get there. And when I walked in the room, he uh, I just I really didn't know what to say. I and I still don't know what to say. I, you know, there's 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 just times where where words just just aren't enough. So so I asked Freddie. I said, "Would you like to pray?" And and he said, "I sure would." And 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 that's what we did. Mm. We prayed. So there for a while, it was just the three of us: just uh, me, Freddie, and God. And um, and it, it was a, a prayer of thankfulness. I, you know, just thankful for for Jesus, what He did on the cross, and and thankful for 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 putting us together, me and Freddie, and 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 uh, that, and 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 just thankful to to have someone to go to at times like this when when words aren't enough, and uh, uh, yeah. so. It, it, it was, it was a good, good prayer. And when, when, when I looked up after it was over with, he had tears running down his cheeks and, and he took his right fist and, and beat his chest and, and said, I can feel God in me. And, Mm. you know, it it was a, it was a terribly sad moment, but it's, it's now the moment that I look back on. Whenever I get sad, because there's just so much comfort in hearing him say that, I, uh, um, and 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 I guess that's one of the things I'd like for people to get out of the book is is that that there is comfort there uh, if you ask for it.
2: Yeah. Where do you where cuz it's very frustrating his life in a in a in a way because he was finally on the straight and narrow and then it was all taken away from him. Um how how do you see that as part of the the narrative? I mean I'm not a religious person myself but right. uh,
1: Andrew he, Andrew so. here's here's how I see it. I I mm. believe that we are put here on this earth to serve God. That's that's our purpose. That's now that's the way I see it. And uh, there are times, there have been cases where a person serves God greater in their death than they can in their life. And I think this is the case.
2: It was a pleasure speaking to Ed Hudson there. Doesn't he speak beautifully about a very touching topic? It's a fantastic story, and I'll just remind you, you can find As the Crow Flies on Amazon and see photos of Freddie Crow and Ed Hudson on Ed Hudson Author on Facebook. I'll stick a blog up on my com as well. Again, I don't share Ed's religious belief, but that doesn't mean I can't find his view of things quite poignant. I didn't know Freddie, so I can't judge. I suppose I'm quite cynical because... I think it's easier to repent once you've been caught. But Ed believes that Freddie saw the error of his ways and chose the righteous path. In any case, it is a story of redemption. And I think even us non-religious folk can enjoy a story like that. It's why the Shawshank Redemption is so many people's favorite film. Redemption seems to just be ingrained in us as an integral facet of entertainment or human story. Anyway, that's enough of that analysis by the book. Go to his Facebook, find the video trailers for these episodes on Twitter and Instagram on andrewgold__ok. I've had quite a few new followers of late, and I love interacting with you all. And make sure you're subscribed to this podcast, leave a review on Apple if you can find a place to do it. It's incredibly complicated for some reason. Uh, Last week's episode with Rebecca Sharrock, who is autistic and has a condition called H-S-A-M, which means she is able to remember every moment of her life back to the womb. Uh, That story seems to have touched a lot of people. One woman commented on Instagram, I won't say her name because I've not had time to ask permission, uh, to say, Loved this episode. She reminds me of my son. He is autistic and has incredible ability with memory. I just went and told him about Rebecca Sharrock, and before I finished talking, he said, Oh, she's like me. So I asked what he could remember, and he was like, Lots of things. Being in the hospital. Which time, I asked. He said, when I was born. And then he got all emotional, which is what he does when he remembers things, good or bad. I never push him further when this happens, as I don't like upsetting him. I've never heard of anyone else that recalls life events like and it's been so interesting to listen to an older person that has similar experiences. Thank you to you and Rebecca for this. It really means a lot. I love getting comments like that. Um, I don't earn any money from the podcast at the time of talking, so these are the things that keep me doing it into the early hours. If you haven't yet caught that episode, please do. It's just the one before this one, and it's absolutely fascinating. I tested her memory by getting her to um, finish random sentences I called out from Harry Potter, and she was uh, able to do it flawlessly. Otherwise, Adam Atticus commented on Apple Podcasts alongside a five-star review, fascinating topics and guests, very well executed. Thanks, Adam. That's not the first time you reviewed with that name. So so who are you, Adam? I want to know who you are. Get in touch. Uh, another was Bored Med Student, who said, took my virginity. So this is the first podcast I've ever listened to and found it to be fascinating and witty while exploring some rather dark issues. Well worth a listen. Well, I can't argue with that. Thanks, board Med Student, and hope you're not too bored while you're operating on people and stuff next week is lloyd evans an ex jehovah's witness who has a thriving youtube channel and a lot to talk about regarding religion i've always found the jehovah's witness says jehovah's witnesses fascinating and don't know all that much about them outside the book white teeth which is one of my favorites by zadie smith so if you want to do some homework uh, read up on that that's one of my favorite favorite books and everyone loves that book white teeth Uh, Zadie Smith. I'm really looking forward to talking to him and getting that one out there and I'll see you guys then. See you next week.